welcome to a special edition of the Owls Americast, sponsored by CU. You can show your support at Hillsborough and have your photos displayed on the pitch side boards. Uh, listeners get 25% off on cu-store.myshopify.com if they use the code CUXmas. That's S-E-Y-U-Xmas. And if you go to our Twitter, Owls Americas, you'll see a retweet with details on how to win free uploads for the upcoming matches. Uh, I am Patrick Jones. Uh, this is a weird um, Owls Americas because I'm on my own this uh, this podcast, um, but it's a very special one. I'm recording from my parents' house in Yorkshire, so the sound quality today will be uh, pretty crap, I imagine. Uh, I've got a headphone mic, there's two toddlers downstairs running a mock, uh, and you're likely to hear some screaming at some point today. Um, but I wanted to get this podcast recorded before the Christmas uh, period, or at least for Christmas Day. Uh, and it's my pleasure today to bring to you a chat with author Dominic Stevenson who's just released this book, Get Your Head in the Game, uh, which is about mental health and football. And it features interviews from uh, Wednesday favourites like John Harkes, Sam Hutchinson, Atty Nuyu, uh, Chris Kirkland, uh, among many other athletes as well. Um, and you may be asking why so many Wednesday players are in this book. Well, it's because like, Dom is a lifelong Wednesday fan. And myself and Dom have been chatting a few weeks now over email, uh, talking about doing an interview for the podcast. Uh, and after being in England for a couple of weeks now, in quarantine mainly, uh, and seeing the kind of uh, damage, I suppose, that are the announcements and lockdowns and different tiers, uh, uh, both on my own family and both obviously in everyone else's family as well. Um, and then you add the regular Christmas stresses on top of that. Uh, it's a stressful time of the year. Uh, I wanted to, I think this, this conversation with Dom uh, and the, the book that he's wrote, it, it's a good time to talk about it. Uh, it's a good time about mental health. Hopefully you get some kind of entertainment out of this conversation. Hopefully if you suffer from mental health, it will help as well. Uh, but essentially, hopefully a good chat. So uh, Dominic, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Um, so first of all, uh, how are you call Wednesday fan? So it was my dad's fault. Uh, the story is old as time. <laughs> um, he took me to Sheffield Wednesday v Aldershot in 1989 in the FA Cup and oh no sorry it could have been the League Cup can't quite remember I was only four uh, just turned four and we drew nil nil and he said it was the worst game of football <laughs> he's ever been to so it was a game that very much prepared me for the current Sheffield Wednesday predicament. A nil-nil game against Aldershot. I mean, that, there's, there's some pretty great uh, Wednesday stories we've had about how you became a Wednesday fan on this podcast. Uh, and they usually start with a story like that, like a miserable game of football. <laughs> very few Wednesday fans start like, at the very top of like the Wednesday period where they see an amazing game of football and get bought into the club's free-flowing style. It's usually through a nil-nil all the shots. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not there's there's not many occasions where people could really come in at the top. You'd have to hit <laughs> yeah. it at a real sweet point. It's your first memory to a trophy. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky bastards that the first game they saw was the ninety one League Cup final. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Dom, again, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um we um Brought you on, really. I really had a, I've had a quick read through the book, not totally yet, but um, it's available uh, in all good bookstores, both in the UK and the US. It's called uh, Get Your Head in the Game. Uh, and what I really like about it is, is it's a series of interviews that you've done with uh, footballs and athletes, uh, but it's, it tracks against your own mental health struggles as well. So there's a really lovely personal narrative to it as well. Um, so I wanted to kind of first ask you, how are you doing? 
are you well at the moment are you kind of like feeling good about christmas coming up how's uh, how you doing yeah I'm, I'm i'm feeling okay it's it's a challenging time of year it's um i mean it's it's challenging for everyone i, I think anyway regardless of everything that's going on in the world because you sort of think about the people that you're with the people that you're not with and it can be challenging sometimes because you don't want to be the miserable one at the party you don't want to spend too much time contemplating but all of a sudden if if you're not at work then it's very easy to spend a lot of time thinking and a lot of time contemplating the year that's gone and looking forward to the year ahead and and this year in particular there's not that element of new year new me it's more like new new year same me sat on the same sofa watching the same netflix looking at the same defeats to preston and wickham coming in (laughs) um and yeah it's a it's it's challenging but i've been down with my family for a few days and then it's been really nice to see everyone i've got a new nephew who i'd only actually met a couple of times and he's over a year old now and so it's quite odd that he doesn't recognize me um even as my nephew so but, but yeah I'm, I'm doing all right and and yourself how are you doing no thank you for asking uh, i think um a similar experience to yourself really i've been obviously uh we both kind of live away from my family so um i came down a couple of weeks ago to do two weeks in quarantine i also have a new nephew who's uh, about nine months old now uh, so it was, I think the primary reason I was really like determined to come down uh, from America was to see him and to also see my other nephew, who's like two and a half now. Um, and that, I, I would say, has been a massive kind of shining beacon of light in what I would probably say has been a pretty shitty first two or three weeks. Because in the two or three weeks I've been here, uh, Boris announced the extra restrictions on London and the Christmas Day stuff. So we had to kind of um, work around that. It's going to be a pain in the ass to get back to America in a couple of weeks' time too. I've got a quarantine on that side of things. Uh, I've got a couple of grandparents that aren't doing too well, so I've seen those, and it's it's frustrating. My granddad a, is a in a retirement home, and uh, seeing him through a glass door because he's um, obviously he's uh, been protected really well by the retirement home, and that was really difficult uh, seeing him. And he can't hear us very well because he's deaf. He's got dementia, so he's struggling to understand what's going on in the world. I'm trying to explain to a 93-year-old guy with uh, dementia what's happening in a pandemic through a double-glazed uh, window is uh, something I didn't want to really um, uh, ever ever do again. But yeah, it's, it's been a tough tough year. Everyone's got their own stories like that, right? Everyone's got their own families. Everyone's got their own... Um... Yeah. So I think this is a really timely uh, book that you've done. and um, There's some really interesting conversations you've had. Before we get into some of the interviews, uh, I wanted to ask you, the, the foreword you have uh, on the book is by an absolute legend, Roger Miller, Cameroon footballer Roger Miller. How did you angle Roger Miller? So I, I've been asked this quite a few times because people have the same reaction. And and, and to be honest, when he said yes, <laughs> I, I, I can just remember being stood in my lounge and crying and being very, uh, well, self-congratulatory to be honest <laughs> um, um yeah so what what happened i i sort of was writing the book and the the publishers were like we'd love to have a forward from someone involved in football and mental health um 
and and I was sort of racking my head thinking, who could I ask? And because it's sort of quite annoying. I mean, it's a rubbish pet hate to have, but it sort of annoys me when people have people totally unrelated to their subject matter doing the forward for their book. Um, and so I was racking my brains and, and sort of thinking about who has influenced my life in football. And I couldn't have my dad write it because it needed to be someone more famous than my dad. Um, and and I was thinking my earliest memories were of seeing um, game. I mean, they were highlights, but seeing the games from Italia 90, seeing uh, the World Cup in the USA in 94, and see, seeing Miller. And my first shirt that wasn't a Wednesday shirt was a Cameroon shirt. <laughs> And it was uh, the it, it was an incredibly beautiful shirt. I've, I've still got it. There is sort of a red, yellow, and green stripe with a massive yellow star on the front. And for some reason, they released it as a fan-only World Cup kit and didn't wear it for the World Cup. So there's not many of them about. I'm, I know it's a strange one, but... There's, so there's not many of them about, and, and I've still got him. It's gorgeous, and um, and it really kicked off my love of colour. And for those who have ever met me in person or ever seen me on social media, like I'm a very colourful, some would say garish type of dresser. Um, very, I mean, I'd, I'd say sort of a working class flamboyancy. If this is at home, this is a homestay. You're wearing a feather boa and a purple kind of like uh, Stetson hat. <laughs> would, you, would you describe that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the uh, cro- crotchless chat as well, just, uh, just for that northeast Lincolnshire appeal. Um, actually, this is the most sedate. It's just a plain black t-shirt I've got today. Um, just because obviously I've had to travel down, so I can't bring much. I've had to bring utility items that I can wear under different different things but, but but yeah it really influenced me and I can remember when I played football as a kid running to corner flag and doing his celebration <laughs> and it, it just really he's always stuck with me and because he almost single-handedly propelled African football to the fore and there's such a narrow world view, I think, for for a lot of people. They look at the big five leagues, but they don't look beyond. And and I think there's a whole world of football, and Roger Miller really brought that to fore. So I just contacted him on Twitter and said, can I email you? And he said, yeah. So I emailed him, put my case forward, and we spent a while back and forth in, and then he said, yeah, I'd love to. Um, and like it's it's a really nice forward as well, really personal. Because I, I was sort of worried that I get a generic like football's great, lots of <laughs> Um, but I think it's a really sort of personal, kind-hearted, thoughtful piece. And so yeah, I was really really grateful that you took the time. No, it's really nice. It is a really nice forward. Um, what a, what a coup! What a great way to kick it off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so one of the one of the first um, stories and one of the first people you speak to in the book is uh, is a Wednesday player or ex Wednesday player now, 
uh, Sam Hutchinson, who has spoken in, in the press previously about his uh, mental health. So I'm assuming uh, as a Wednesday fan, uh, writing about mental health, he was, a, he was a kind of big number one and on the uh, priority list of people to speak to. Um, how was your experience with Sam? Uh, and uh, you say in the book, he really felt like he was opening up and was quite vulnerable to you when, when you met him. Yeah, it was, it was just, it, it was the first interview I'd done. And I, I was very nervous, as I say, been Wednesday night all my life. And although I live in Edinburgh, I go when I can. And he was always a hero of mine. I always felt that he had a bit of a rough time with some of the managers we've had. And I, I, I was just very nervous about meeting him because it's a big responsibility to tell these stories. And it's something that, like, I was so happy you showed an interest in it. I'm so happy other people have because that means that I might have done the job right. Because Sam was so open, so generous with his time and with his heart and with his mind to me that it, it was just a real honour talking to him and his love for Wednesday shone through and... He was going through a very difficult time with Munker um, then, and he said to me, this was in January, and he said, I'll never play in a Wednesday shirt again. And I was just, I mean, at the time, I just sort of, I mean, burst into tears is pushing it, but I'd sort of tears run down my cheek because it just, it felt cruel, like someone had been cruel to him because... You could see just from the minutes I'd spent with him at that point how enthused he was about the club and about the fans and about everything to do with it and living in and around Sheffield, working in and around Sheffield. Um, and he was just so... Um, like people always say, don't meet your heroes, but on, on my experience, I very much recommend doing it because he... <laughs> He spent time researching me, finding out a bit about me. Um, he was genuinely interested in me. It felt, for for both of us, I think, like a weight was being lifted as the conversation was going. And I, I, I could have sat there all day just, <laughs> just talking to him. And like, we, we still text occasionally just to catch up and see how each other's doing and... We spoke a bit when um, spoke a bit when he left Hillsborough, um, and I'm really, I mean, I was surprised he went to Cyprus. But if there's one person that I want playing football in the sunshine, earning a bit of money, having a nice time with his family, it's Sam. Yeah, well, that's nice. And doing the same old blood curling tackles as he did in uh, the English uh, grounds. If you saw the yeah, sent off in his first game. I think. <laughs> so it, it sounds like um, from Sam, you talked a little bit about um, social media as well with Sam. And uh, did have you got like an um, indication from him off any of the interviews you've done around kind of that influence on players uh, if they're on social media, how it affects them? A lot of people just kind of brush it off and say. Yeah, there's always going to be a minority of idiots. Is that the case, do you think? Or do you think that people are genuinely affected by uh, fans on social media? Oh, I think people are genuinely affected. I think it's the one thing that everyone cited as the divide between fans and players. 
the, I always had the impression that footballers might be a bit at the top levels, a bit more reclusive because they've got a bit of money. And so they don't need to go to the town centre. They don't need to, um, do you know what I mean? They don't need to go to Meadow Hall or, you know what I mean, Morrison's. But I really got the impression that it's because they fear that, that they're a bit scared to now. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people who just rolled their eyes and called them snowflakes. But the fact is, if you play a game and you then spend the next two days getting tens of thousands of abusive tweets. Are you going to go out into town with your family and your kids? And are you going to put yourself in that position? Are you going to go to the club events with the fan groups? Or are you going to make excuses? And, and like Sam said about Morgan Fox in particular, that he was really badly affected for a time by the social media abuse. And as I'm not sure what he does now on social media, Morgan, but he noti- he noticeably came off social media and only tweeted a couple of charity appeals for several years um, because he'd, he was going into changing room afterwards and turning on his phone and just getting piled on by people who were abusing him and it really affected him according to Gun Sam and and that's such a shame because I mean it's a shame in two senses one like I love Wednesday and I'm proud to be a Wednesday fan I'm not I'm not proud to be associated with people who choose to abuse other people as a hobby and and that's the real shame that for me, social media has opened that element of distrust within the fan community that all of a sudden, I mean, for years, I could go to Wednesday and stand next to anyone and we'd talk about the game, we'd, you know what I mean, we'd cheer when we scored, we'd commiserate when we didn't. And yet now, everything about everyone is poured onto their social media and there's no filter. And so all of a sudden, you're not deciding whether... You want to associate with people because of how they are, but because of their political views, because of things like that. And and I think that with Morgan, for example, there'll be some fans who think that the abuse was a good thing because he spent his summer doing uh, the Marine Fitness Programme and came back and was a beast for a year. And when, when I met him at the training ground when I went to interview Sam, I mean... I'm a fairly tall, fairly fairly broad person. If I met Morgan Fox in a dark alley, I'd run. Like he is stacked, he is built, and you can see just the um, the sheer physicality of him. What that extra training did, but some people will attribute what he did to trying to get the abusers off his back. Um, but for me there's a better way you can encourage people and like when I well, I mean sure we'll talk about it more but when I'm at Ati Nahui he said um, I want fans to cheer me for 90 minutes if I play badly I will stand there for another 90 minutes and you can boo me but don't boo me before I've done the work on the pitch that's, that's a really great, yeah, it's a really great quote, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Like, he's, he's happy to be accountable, 
uh, if he's playing badly. But he says during yeah. the game, he needs support. He needs encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how many people listening to this have been into their workplace and had their manager or someone come and shout at them for 90 minutes? Like, <laughs> it, it doesn't do much for productivity. <laughs> yeah. And he, I mean, Morgan Fox and Ati have had the fair share. I think Sam got um, was pretty much universally loved. Um, uh, obviously, there's always the odd person on uh, social media that was going to uh, neg him and send him abuse. Uh, you can't go away from that. I think any footballer in the world can't go away from that. Um, but Assi, I would say, is one of the most uh, divisive uh, Sheffield Wednesday players of the last 10 years in the way that he can generate either adulation or hatred from uh, a fan base. And I hope from your conversation, Assi, that he saw both sides for it. Um, so what, what did he tell you about... Um, Another person that's gone to Cyprus. Uh, what did he tell you about his time with Wednesday? Um, did, he, did, you, did you get that he had an overall positive um, uh, feeling towards the club, uh, despite the Boo Boys? Oh, he loves Wednesday. I mean, he'd still he'd still be there if it. I mean, I think they both would, but I think Atty in particular would have stayed there for the rest of his career happily and coached there. Like he was. When, when I went down, I met some of the lads that he was doing his coaching badges with and like the under 16, 17s. And he had such such a genuine affection for the club that, I mean, all footballers say they look out for their old team's results and things like that. But it felt like so much more than that because I think for a young footballer, which when he came to Wednesday, he was, he was sort of, early sort of mid early 20s and to come to England to play for a team of Wednesday stature that that was every young kid's dream and he he did it and they gave him a shot and I think I mean personally I think he more than repaid what we paid for him and um his wages over the years um what was it Interesting is my part of the reason that I wanted to interview him in the first place was to sort of go go back to the stuff you said about the Boo Boys is that he left Kosovo as a refugee, and what I wanted to know is do twenty th- when you've escaped a country as a refugee, escaped civil war, when you've had to make the choice to leave family behind to survive. Does 20,000 people booing you if you miss a shot impact on you in any way? Like, do you give a damn if they boo you? And he said, yeah, it's, it, it's my whole life. Like, I love playing football. Um, it was what his, par- like his parents worked hard. They worked two, three jobs each so that they could build a life in Austria so that he could play football. and Again, his his pride in playing football and playing for Wednesday absolutely shone through. And again, he was extremely kind, generous with his time. And it it really it really demonstrated to me the the difference between 
what I've seen before and, and what I see now, actually, with the club culture and the positivity around the place, that although results weren't going their way, there was a real, you look at Zhao, Atty, others, who will always uh, fessy Instagram stories, pictures, getting involved. And now there's not much out there. I know Bannon sort of spends a lot of time Instagramming his personal life, but that changing room banter, that behind closed doors element has been shut off. And I think, again, it comes down to the abuse that people get from fans and that lack of ability to view footballers as human beings and to understand that although a loss hurts them if they spend all week sat around crying being miserable because they lost how are they going to get themselves up for the next game and I think that was something that he really demonstrated that um that players need that camaraderie they need the togetherness and I think he led by example. And I think much like when Samido left, when Leuven's left, I think Atty has left. And for the money he'd have been on, I think we've lost more in team spirit than we've gained by getting lone players who get injured and go home in, to be honest. Yeah. And I think that... From the outside looking in, you can you can comment. I think if if uh, if those Instagram stories are happening and the team are doing well, it's fine because everyone sees that as great camaraderie, great team spirit, and it's something you need to be successful. If the, those if you're seeing successful and happy happy uh, players and the kind of like the camaraderie, it can be perceived from social media that they don't care or yeah. like it's like oh they're happy again after like losing three 0 to. Um, XYZ could be anybody that's played this right. Um, so <laughs> it, it does feel like um, that's it almost grates uh, on the fans if they see a less than um, a less than a successful team on the pitch being okay and living their normal life. It feels like oh they don't care, they deserve the abuse. And I, I feel like that's unfair. First of all, I want to say that, um, but that's the kind of like very thin line they're treading between showing that there's team camaraderie and showing that also that they're hurting too and they're trying. Um, and it, it must be a, a constant like walking on eggshells type life they lead to put out content on social media, which I'm sure they're told to do um, and also want to do versus uh, being almost kind of like respectful of fans who are sensitive about <laughs> their, their team's performances. Yeah, I think for for me, but part of the reason of writing the book is I wanted to personalise mental health by by talking to these players, and it just it it's a thing that people forget, and and people don't often like it when I say this, but football is a job, and Sheffield Wednesday an employer that we all care passionately and, and we love it and we devote our lives to supporting the club. But from a player's perspective, they are their latest employer, their current employer. And what what gets me is that at, at the minute, if you've got a player who is, I don't know, on the fringes at 
Swansea or I don't know Southampton or someone where they're looking for a bit of a loan spell in January, maybe coming in for the rest of the season or looking at where they could move on a free next summer. And you see lots of abuse from Wednesday fans towards players. You see players who aren't engaging because they just don't want to engage with the abuse. And does that make Sheffield Wednesday an appealing club to come to? The the Ultimately, we want players who are proud to wear the shirt, but fans have to lead by example because we'll be around longer than any of the players. That Do you know what I mean? Someone could spend their whole career with Wednesday and it'd be 15 years. And do you know, like Liam Palmer, I'd love him to spend his whole career with Wednesday. I think he's a quality lad. Lo- lovely to see him come through the academy. I still smile so big when I see people tweeting that picture of him and his dad at Cardiff. But the fact is, a player plays for Wednesday for 15 years. I'm 35 and I've been going for 31 years. I've seen two full careers. Like if someone made their debut in my first game, they've retired and the person who made their debut 15 years later has retired. And Hopefully, I mean, touch wood, I um, will see a lot more debuts and a lot more retirements before before my time comes. But, um, yeah, like fans make the club and we have to lead by example. We have to wear the shirt with pride. We have to, you know what I mean, wear our Tony Pulis baseball caps with pride if we so choose. And, and, and we've got to make Wednesday the club that we always say it is. That we always say it's massive, we always say it's welcoming, we always say it's warm and friendly and passionate and vibrant. But only we can do that, only we can make that big change. And and it is like I'm not like I I'm I'm being idealistic there. It's difficult when you've seen result after result after result, which just makes you miserable. It's hard to get yourself up for the next game. If it's hard for us, think about the people who got to go out there and win the next game. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what I mean? Like, if we take out our misery on them for a week before the game, what do we expect? Because really, Bannon, for example, isn't. If he decides to leave at the end of the year, he's not going to be short on suitors. And as much as people criticise, well, everyone in the squad at some point they're all professional footballers and everyone who's played this season is a top level elite athlete they will find a new club and they will go on to different things and i mean you look at someone like fessy that i mean there are a lot of issues there over time but people were saying that he was past it that he couldn't do a job for wednesday wasn't good enough to play for wednesday I'm sure the Fiorentina defence that he ripped up the other day in Serie A, or when he played against Inter Milan and ripped their defence to pieces weeks later. Like, I'm sure... Do you know what I mean? I, I'm sure they disagree. Um, and, 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 and I think that what I want to do with the book is encourage football fans to sit back, 
and think a bit more and get back to, I, I guess, the first question you asked me, why did you become a Wednesday? I, what do you love about it? Like where, where is your passion? Get back in touch with the passion. And when that happens, I think we'll have a much happier fan base and, you know, I mean, happier group. And it is difficult when you can't get into the ground or like me and you, we live away, but it's worth the effort because we all fell in love with it once and we can do it again. So I think it's a really interesting point to, to lead from here is, is talk about the fans, right? So, <clears throat> and we started the program talking about myself and yourself and how we're doing and how our mental health is. Um, but obviously it's not a kind of a simple black and white conversation here is that the, the fans are, are booing the players because they're bad and that affects the players. Each individual fan's going through their own shit. Each individual, each individual person is also a human being on the supporter side as well as the player's side. And you've spoken to a lot of fans as well in this book, um, Dominic, uh, about what football means to them and how it helps them. What have you kind of gathered from like uh, the fans you've spoken to about what football is to them and how it helps them deal with their like everyday lives and what, what kind of release it gives them? I mean, what, what really shone through to me is how much people rely on the football community and not just in the sense of the people that they stand next to on the crowd in, in the crowd if they can go to the game but conversations like this that I have spoken to you and we follow each other on social media and all keep in touch the common denominator is Sheffield Wednesday and so you know what I mean if I'm ever over the state side then I'll expect a beer to be bought for me. <laughs> um, and that will, I mean, I'll, I'll buy you one back. <laughs> that, that, that comes from um, from Sheffield Wednesday and from the club. And every, every single fan that I spoke to spoke about that sense of community. I, I spoke to Val McDermott, who is a, a writer, and, and she spoke about her community within Wraith Rovers and how it was passed down from her and her dad and how the whole mood of Kilcoddy where uh, Wraith Rovers play um, ebbs and flows on the success or uh, lack of, of the of the team. And it's quite phenomenal that you've got whole towns that, that laugh or sigh based on, based on football and, I spoke to a gentleman who supports Arsenal, um, who started going when he was a kid. Him and his dad used to drive down from outside London to go and see them. And he still goes. And he talked about it being an outlet for loneliness and about how there's a very real sense of togetherness when you're within the stadium because you know that you've all got a common interest. And how often is that the case? that that you can walk into a room full of 40,000 other people and have something in common that you can talk to any single one, if you so wish to, or you can just absorb the atmosphere. And, and those were the real common threads. And, and I sort of, I just, again, it comes back to reconnecting with what made you love football, that I don't, I've never seen it as a chore, even when we're not doing well. I don't see it as a chore to watch. I mean, 70 minutes in, it might be a bit of a chore. But 
in, in the run up to kickoff, I don't see it as a draw. Like, I still am thrilled if there's a televised game and I can watch it, or if I get to go down. Um, and it makes me really happy. And I just, football started off as a working class game where people could go after a week of very hard work and enjoy themselves and have some release and shout and scream and cheer and celebrate and commiserate. And that's still the case, but the communities have changed. And so whereas once you went to the ground and you saw everyone from work, now you see a lot of strangers, but there is still that common factor of football and we have to get, back to those roots and I think it's more and more difficult because I as said live in Edinburgh so if I want to go it's 100 quid on train 40 quid for a ticket let's say 40 quid in some drinks and a pie and program and stuff and then if I went with someone double that and so all of a sudden you're looking at a weekend away in Rome or going to see Wednesday. And and I, I just think fans are terrified of that disconnect. They're terrified of the point where they might have to say, I can't afford it, or I can't afford to introduce my kids to it, because I started going because of my dad. I haven't got kids, but if I did, one of the biggest things I'd look forward to is taking them to see Wednesday. And my niece and nephew have actually been indoctrinated as Coventry fans because their dad is a, a Coventry fan. And um, But they've loved it. They've gone to, well, the older one, my niece has gone to Coventry games and loved it. But my fear is that if she has kids, she won't be able to afford to take them. Um, and so, yeah, I think fans love the community and all the things around it, the walk into the ground. And and like in, in the book at the end, there's a section on tips for improving your mental health around football. And one of them is, for me, is to make the match an occasion and to, you know what I mean, wear your shirt, wear your scarf, make the effort to, like me and my dad always get a port sandwich on the way to Hillsborough. So make the effort to do the thing you enjoy doing. And like, well, when I'm at home, I'll get some nice food and a few beers and I'll put my Wednesday shirt on and you know, sometimes even my Wednesday bobble hat because it's Scotland. Um, and I watch the game like that because it's just a nice thing to do. And yeah. I really like that. So can, can we talk a little bit more about the tips uh, for mental yeah. health? I think, I think Wednesday fans might uh, might need that at the moment. Um, so obviously, um, you said that you finished your, your book with some tips for mental health. I do like the idea of having habits, uh, making match an occasion, uh, building your own traditions, right? So you, you mentioned the fact that you've, um, you always go for pork sandwich at Berra's, I assume. Uh, no, I'd, see, this is controversial. Oh, really? You've got, you got a controversial hot take here on pork sandwiches at Sheffield? Well, so, <laughs> so because for years, berries didn't exist, to my knowledge. 
And so we always used to go to, um, it was called Bilton's on Middlewood Road. Oh, yeah. And it's now called Helen's. And it's across the road from the Berries on Middlewood Road. And I much prefer it. But because they sort of pull the pork, um, whereas Berries slices it. And I'm not a fan of, like, sliced (laughs) cooked meat. Um, So, yeah, that's my, probably, for all the things I say, my most controversial Sheffield Wednesday point of view. Helen's Um, pork sandwiches. I mean, there's a lot of uh, people listening to our podcast that um, haven't made it to Hillsborough yet because they're in America or, like, new fans. Uh, So there you go, guys. There's a a tradition there, and you can really kind of, I I I recommend trying both. Go to Helen's, go to Berra's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> on the same day. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. I mean, to to be fair, I do sometimes do that. I am um, if if I get the train down to see my grandparents, um, and and there's a match. They they live at Hillsborough, so sometimes I'll get from the tram to Hillsborough, get a port sandwich, walk to my grandparents. By the time my dad's dad arrives to, and we walk up to the ground, I'll then get a port sandwich on the way to the ground because. <laughs> You can't, I mean, I, I don't even eat that much meat. And um, after Brexit, because of animal welfare and reasons and so on, I'm not going to be eating meat at home. But I always, always find a place for a Sheffield port sandwich. <laughs> so I think that's really, really important. I think it's really good. And you can do that, like you say, at home. You don't have to be at Hillsborough. You can make your own little uh, match day traditions. If you've got family, yeah. get them involved too. Uh, I, I'm going to pivot to uh, something that is quite close to my heart at the moment, and it's not completely opposite to the pork sandwich you have two debate, and that's looking after your physical health, which is one of your tips you mentioned in your book too. Uh, because better, better physical health equals better better mental health, essentially. That's what I've found as well in my own experience recently. So I, I, uh, I definitely, uh, I would say, gorged a lot in the first few months of lockdown. I ate everything I wanted to. I drank everything in sight just because that's the things that I thought I could do in my own home that will make me happy. And it did for a few months. And then I saw a picture of me in the summertime and I was like chunky, way chunkier than I've ever been. So I was like, okay, if this is going to be a lockdown that's going to last longer than a few months, I need to stop eating everything, drinking everything inside. <laughs> so uh, took, I, did a new, I did a new map. People who listen to the podcast regularly know I've been drinking light beers on the podcast, which is definitely not in line with our brand um and uh i've lost three stone um and i i definitely have felt better in my own mental health because of that um i wouldn't say that me being bigger was necessarily making me miserable i don't think it was on a day-to-day basis but what i have found was that i feel more happier in general from being from exercising going out more uh seeing weight like move off me uh I feel less kind of miserable after I've eaten food. I feel more up for it. So I think that's a really good tip to um, Dominic. Yeah, I think that quite a lot of people have more and more quite sedentary lifestyles. And I know, I know myself, I'm in the same boat. I've been working from home for nine months and it really, I, it got to a point where I was having to make a real effort to go and get out because I just wasn't feeling it. Um, and so taking time to invest in my physical health was 
really important to me. And I think it's something that obviously not everyone, some people will have disabilities and challenges which make it um, not something they can do. But for those who are able, I'd, I'd heartily recommend it because it just gives you that time to um, cool off. And it's sort of stealth exercise that you just go for a walk and you put your music on or I listen to podcasts and audiobooks and um, and it, it just keeps you going. And before you know it, you've done a few miles and that just, it clears your head a bit. It gets the blood pumping. And I think that part of the reason I said uh, about looking after physical health rather than losing weight or anything like that is because I think for years I've seen people focus on the on the weight loss and they they then don't recognize the joy of the exercise that I mean I hate running as much as the next person and I'm not trying to convert you all into joggers <laughs> but going for a walk or something it just you'd be surprised at the well, as you say it's had a really positive impact on you and and it has on me that particularly during covid and i've been struggling with finding new work recently um that is just really given me the opportunity to clear my head ensured that i can sleep at night because i've had that time to myself and of course we're in lockdown like we've seen the same faces every day for almost a year and as much as we all probably love those faces we all need time apart from those faces because we're not as a society we're not used to being together all the time like that and so it's, it's really important totally and i, I want to back up that point as well my 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 exercise routine during this uh, weight loss program has been the lowest bar you could possibly attain to. It was it's literally been walking longer. So I, I take the dog for a walk twice a day. Uh, I've taken it from like twenty minutes twice a day to an hour twice a day. If you've got a dog, it's a great way of exercise. It, it forces you to get outside because they need to go outside. Mm -hmm. um, if you haven't got a dog, just go outside. Put a podcast on New Year's. An hour passes by like nothing. It's, it does let you clear your head. Uh, and if I'm having a stressful day it will always kind of reset myself uh, into kind of something I think is, is my usual level-headedness. So don't, don't think you have to be a, a couch to 5K person to uh, get physical exercise. Oh, I, I, absolutely not. And, <laughs> and that's the thing about, about the, the tips and the reason that I put them in there is that I'm sick to death of your couch to 5k's to your let's talk about mental health let's do this let's do that because no one ever provides context it's middle class privileged people talking to middle class privileged people about things they don't need to talk to middle class privileged people about that that ultimately i know it's changed a lot and it's a much more global game now but working class has been sorry football has been historically a working class game but what has also been historically working class is negligent governments of not properly funded education, employers who do not invest personally in the well-being of their employee, um, employees. And that means you've got 
two, three generations of football fans who, through no fault of their own, haven't been invested in educationally or their well-being. And so if you say, like, my dad's a, he um, has been a, since he was, well, I mean, since he was about two years old and had to walk 27 miles over broken glass to work, he's been a, a <clears throat> sorry, he's been a, sorry he's been a painter and decorator since he left school at um 15 and no one invested in him as um in in his well-being his school um didn't invest in him to keep him on to do his exams and things like that and so all of a sudden you've got all these people saying talk about your mental health, do couch to 5k, do this, do that. But no one gives any context. No one says talking about your mental health can be as simple as saying to your mate, I'm not doing amazingly at the minute. Or asking your mate, how are you? Like, how are things at home? And people don't say that. The impression that people give is that you were and and they're very well meaning, very caring people. I'm not knocking them, but when you've got to reach as big an audience as possible with awareness campaigns, you talk to the people who will retweet you. You talk to the people who will fill out your evaluation survey. You don't talk to the people who need talking to, and talking to mates, talking to people about mental health isn't sitting there and saying to them every thought you've ever had. Nor do you have to wait until you're having suicidal thoughts or you feel like you've got to do something drastic to try and take your pain away. And and I think that so often people talk about mental health like it's got to be an extreme thing. That that we say to men, if you fit feel a lump in your testicle, go to your doctor. If you feel sadness or anxiety in your head, you can go to a doctor, you can talk to a friend, you can go and see someone and get help and they will be there for you as much as if you went with a lump in your testicle or anything like that. Yeah, and I feel like, I think the importance here and uh, around a community or having someone to talk to is really important too. So uh, not everyone has a group of friends to go to the match with. Not everyone will have a parent that's into the same things as them. So I think the importance of joining a community, there's so many online communities nowadays. Uh, this is one of your tips in your book too, to foster that kind of like um, support uh, from people. Maybe it's like someone that's local to you. Again, it's obviously close to our hearts now as Americas. Essentially, if you look at our original goal, it's on the website. We're building a community in the Americas. We are we, we're well aware that we've got a small numbers out here, but the whole point of Owls Americas is to foster community across the Americas. And we're building sports groups. Uh, and we start up sports groups in Portland. Obviously, New Orleans has been going a long time. New York. Um, we've got LA. We've got um, Boston. So many different like groups have started from this and they're very very small but if you if, if we can have a wednesday supporters group in in chipping 
Portland, Oregon. There's, I'm sure there's a Wednesday supporters group near you. If we can have five Wednesday fans uh, drive from Arkansas to New Orleans for a Sheffield Wednesday meetup, then I'm pretty sure there's a few Wednesday fans near you where you are too. And if not, websites, internet, there's loads of uh, communities you can build uh, virtually too. So <clears throat> you don't have to be uh, alone. If you haven't got family or friends that go to the football, go online, find your local community, find someone that are common with you. And just through posting and getting to know people, you'll, you'll find people to chat to. And from there, friendships can start up. A lot of my friends, when I was growing up, are from a, a band forum. I followed a band around England uh, called Embrace uh, in the night in the in Britpop's heyday. And most of my friends I met were from that forum, went to gigs together. And now, 15, 20 years later, some of my best friends, still Embrace friends. So I, I, I massively, massive proponent of like online communities. Uh, for helping people get through. I'm also a big Idols fan. I don't know if you like fan of the fan band Idols uh, as a kind of punk band. They've got a, a group called the AF Gang, and that's one of the best Facebook groups I've ever been in my entire life for like support, mental health support. Like it's about the band, obviously, but obviously everyone comes in there with their issues and problems. They're very supportive and a very progressive uh, group of people. So uh, first of all, get into the band Idols, they're amazing. Second of <laughs> all, join their Facebook group. Um, <clears throat> Dominic. Uh, I want to finish, um, if we can. So uh, we've got some. I could talk to you for like hours, man. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm here. I've just got, you know, in tea later. There's not, there's not loads going on in Kielby in a, <laughs> a rainy December day. So you're not keeping me. <laughs> so let's let's go back to some of your interviews. Um, I, I want to talk John Harks, friend of the podcast, John Harks. We had him on a couple of years ago. Lovely, lovely man. Um, yeah. Uh, and you chat to him too for your book too um, about being a coach uh, and obviously a member of the US uh, national team. Uh, is that a really good start to his kind of like coaching career with uh, a relatively small club in South Carolina called Greenville? Um, what did you talk to him about? Did you get much insight about, about what he's like as a coach, how he manages those personalities, how he manages those personalities and how he motivates them? Yeah, so it was what I found really interesting about John is how how much he appeared to have learned from from his career and that people forget that for someone who was I mean as you say arguably coaching a small team in in Greenville he he was there at the cusp of everything that I mean obviously modern football is stretching it but the first, because obviously the 86 World Cup was in Mexico, so from a Argentina, sorry, or Mexico, one of them. Um, but from a sort of English-British perspective, the 90 World Cup was when we really got back into it. And he was there leading a team of amateur players of college players to the world cup he was one of the few professionals in what is arguably arguably the last amateur national team ever to make it to a world cup finals and he sort of talked about that about how 
he found the transition from that American team to Wednesday quite difficult because he was going from these players who were studying or working, playing semi-professionally, and then all of a sudden you're a, a club playing alongside the likes of Carlton Palmer and Nigel Pearson, people like proper pros, like big name people, and being managed by Big Ron. And it was quite the transition for him. And he spoke uh, about how he was lonely at first. And because, again, it's, it wasn't like now. You couldn't, um, you know, I mean, Skype people, you couldn't um, Zoom them. So you had to wait till you could talk to them. And because time differences and stuff, he, he felt very isolated. Um, he said his team spirit, the team spirit got him through and Big Ron's leadership. And that is what he talked about with Greenville and about how he likes to be a coach, that he wants to know the people he's coached and he wants to understand them. He spends a, a lot of time seeing what makes them tick so that he can get the best out of them. And, and I think when I spoke to um, a coach called Kelly Lindsay, who managed the Afghanistan women's national team, she used the term culture coach, that she doesn't just coach football or soccer. She coaches people. She grows individuals and grows people. And both John and Kelly said that when players leave the clubs they manage, they want them to be better people than when they came in through the door. And for, for me, that's so important that you want people to grow, not just as players, but as people, because footballers are examples to tens of thousands and millions of people in the world, that you want people who are part of the community, who are happy, who are able to be a part of something bigger than them. And, and that takes a lot of effort. And I think John's career through being one of very few captains to have a captain his team at Home World Cup in 94, to being one of the marquee players when the MLS started in 96. Like he, and, and being one of the um, big names in, in the Premiership when it started, that he, two World Cups, two massive leagues being started, that he's really been there and done it. And I think he could have maybe played a bit more on his name and got high-profile coaching roles. But from talking to him, I don't think that would have matched his personality or his personal goals, which I think are to take soccer to people to encourage communities to take it to heart and I was so delighted for him when Greenville won the championship this year um, and I was delighted for the community because I know football fans from sorry non-football fans from Greenville separately through life um, who were celebrating the team winning and they're not football fans but it become part of the community and that's an amazing thing. And that has been the the beauty of, for, I mean, for me as an outsider, watching the MLS grow has been 
how the game I love is having a really positive influence on communities. And if I had to pick an MLS team, I'd go for Portland Timbers. Um, always been, um, always followed them closely. And uh, Don Megson used to, ex-Wednesday captain, used to manage them um, 30 years ago. So there's a bit of a Wednesday connection, which is what put me in touch with them. But they seem to have a really positive fan culture and a really positive playing culture. And I think that all started with John and and players like him. And I think the impact of what he's done is just grown and grown and grown and continues to. And he's clearly a very passionate man and clearly someone who wants the best for other people. And yeah, just couldn't, I was so excited to talk to him because he was one of the first players I remember as a Wednesday fan as a kid. And so to get the chance, and and again, he was super generous with his time. And I didn't, when we were arranging an interview, I we were sort of messaging back and forth and then he stopped replying to me. And, and I sort of had that, like, have I done something wrong? Have I? And I was going through my messages and I was like, how have I offended him? And then it came out that his dad, um, sorry, his father-in-law was on life support with COVID. And he rang me between hospital visits to do the interview. And that's phenomenal that, that someone was so invested in me and my project because of what they felt it could do for the football community, that in one of their darkest hours, they still found, found the time to talk to me. And I think that demonstrates the stature of the, of the man, I think. Definitely. And I haven't, we've had to obviously, I'm friends with other podcast hosts and uh, people that have known John. I actually live very close to Carney, where he grew up, where his dad lives. Oh. Um, my wife teaches as a first grade teacher there. Um, I haven't found a person in the whole world which has a bad word to say against John Harks. He's one of life's uh, good ones, I think. Yeah, um, definitely. <clears throat> uh, Dominic, uh, I think we shall have to end it there, but I think uh, if we can do uh, something like this maybe in the future, that would be great to get back on the podcast. Um, but uh, for everyone that wants to uh, read more uh, from your book, can you give us some, uh, where can they buy it? Uh, what's it called? Uh, where's it available? So the book is called Get Your Head in the Game. It's available in the US now and in Canada. Um, in Canada, I've been recommending people go to Chapters Indigo. I know they're stocking it. Uh, and Target in America are stocking it. I'm sure because it's out with Penguin in North America. So I'm sure if you speak to your local bookshop, I always try and push people to their local bookshop because I think communities suffer when they lose a local bookshop. So but if you go into your local bookshop, they will be able to order it for you. It's called Get Your Head in the Game. I'm Dominic Steenston on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Hat Scarf Shirt. Um, and you're able to see a lot of annoying promo pictures of me um holding the book and waving cardboard signs with encouraging messages on and stuff like that um 
But yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I hope to, hope to get the chance again. And obviously a very merry and safe um, Christmas and New Year to all the people listening across North America and beyond. Thanks, Dominic. Really appreciate it. And first of all, thank you for mentioning the US outlet you can get it from, but obviously it's available in the UK too, where a lot of our listeners are from too. Uh, oh, yes. I assume any good yeah. bookshops in the, in the UK will uh, stock it? Even the bad ones stock it. Right, so, so, yeah. Yeah, the, the good and the bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you all the best with the book, um, man. I can't wait to uh, finish it uh, over Christmas. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll send out links on social media too for anyone that's listening. Uh, but to have a great Christmas Thank yourself. You much love to your family. You too, Speak soon. Okay, so uh, nice little chats there with our friend Dominic Stevenson. Uh, today, though, we've got also a special guest from our Christmas sponsors, uh, CU. Uh, it's uh, Tom Veshi, uh, the CEO of CU. Uh, just brought him on to have a little chat about the new match day service that CU's bringing to Hillsborough. Tom, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, Patrick. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Great. It's a bit free to have you. Um, so, CU, um, it's a new... Really cool service that uh, Hillsborough is going to have on the uh, pitch side uh, advertising boards. Can you explain to the fans at home how they can get involved uh, and use this service? Yeah, sure. Well, see you together for victory is our our solution that we we came up with around two years ago and uh, started to help you know fans to connect with their beloved stars on the pitches. And um, we are opening towards the UK market now. And personally, I am a huge Sheffield Wednesday fan. So I figured, you know, this is the best time to get behind the team. So what, you know, fans can do, they can purchase a VIP matchday experience in our uh, web shop and then post their selfies through our application with a motivational message to the LED boards during the match in real time. So usually, you know, we would allow it, you know, to happen during the match as well. But, you know, because of so many uh, photos coming in, we just set the deadline like until one hour before the kickoff. They can send their photos to our application and we will display them next to the pitch for the players to see. That's great. So as long as the guys get in uh, their, their photos before um, an hour before kickoff, they should see it uh, during the game. And uh, which games have you got this uh, plan for so far in the uh, season coming up? Yeah, for the next two home matches, we have a deal with uh, Sheffield Wednesday. So uh, we get some LED minutes uh, on the perimeter board against um, against uh, Derby County and Middlesbrough as well. Next two home games. Great. Um, so I saw this actually on the, against the uh, Coventry uh, uh, team that we played uh, last week where we won 1-0. So... Uh, are you some kind of look, good luck charm, Tom? Can we uh, look forward to two more wins against uh, Middlesbrough and Derby? Yeah, yeah, funny you mentioned that. Um, the funny thing about our solution is whenever we start the club and if they played in a bad form, they just start to win, you know, and, and <laughs> I didn't want to jinx it before, you know, the <laughs> match against, against the Coventry, but uh, I had my fingers crossed and you know, see, we delivered a one-nil home victory, and um, yeah, just another UK reference. You know, for Wasp Rugby, 
we uh, started to work with at the restart of their uh, season. And Vastrup, um, they flew to the finals in the rugby league. That's great. So hopefully the players are seeing these pictures and uh, getting motivated. Uh, and they are um, obviously providing some kind of like atmosphere to uh, empty stadiums at the moment, which we find, we find ourselves in due to COVID. So uh, to, to wrap up, Tom, I wanted to share obviously the, uh, the fan offer that you have. What is the code that uh, our listeners can use to get 25% off? Oh, yes, we provided a 25% um, of discount for all um, fan club members and they can use the CUXmas code in our webshop and getting five pounds off their uh, VIP match day experience. Great. And that is uh, S-E-Y-U-X-M-A-S. That's the code you should use. And you should visit uh, CU at the CU-store, so S-E-Y-U-store dot myshopify.com Tom thanks so much man for joining us and explaining this awesome new service um, and uh, we look forward to seeing our faces at the Hillsborough yeah thank you Patrick and I'm looking forward to seeing your face at Hillsborough <laughs> <laughs> thanks Tom thanks man All right. Thanks so much for joining me this uh, Christmas. It's uh, been lovely to speak with Dom and to Tom. Um, you can find myself on Twitter at New York Owls or Paddy A. Jones. The Owls Americas account are on Owls Americas. Um, you can find Dominic at Hat Scarf Shirt uh, for his uh, book and football account. Uh, and obviously, like I said in the interview with Dominic, you can find his book in most good bookstores. It's called Get Your Head in the Game. <clears throat> and uh, it's available in the US as well, uh, at Target, uh, as well as probably local bookstores too. Um, our podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show, just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show, as it helps more Wednesdays find their ramblings. I do hope you all had a wonderful Christmas, and have a way better 2021. Uh, I will be back on the podcast in the new year with the rest of the gang, so thanks again for listening. 